Are you a new or aspiring woman leader that wants to make a successful leap into leadership? Do you want to grow your confidence and your leadership abilities so that you can become the kind of leader other people want to follow? Welcome to The Leadership Leap, a show that is all about helping women to become more confident about making the leap into leadership. Now, here is your host, Leanne Pico. Hi there. Welcome to The Leadership Leap. I'm Leanne Pico, your host. What a great show we have for you this week. I've been counting down all week to this one, but I'm going to hold the suspense a little longer. I want to thank my guests from last week first. So I want to say thank you to Rosie and Mel from the Beyond Borders Leadership Program at their high school. It was amazing. 17-year-old girls in a leadership program visiting Tesla, going to New York, trying out leadership. It was so, so good. And I want to also say thank you to Tina De Los Santos, uh, the communications queen for the Leadership Leap. She shared a great article on what successful leaders look like. And for a fascinating conversation on diversity, equity, and inclusion, I want to say thank you to our inclusion coach, Christina Sacchifio. Honestly, you want to listen to that show, and and Christina's here every month. Um, Tina will be here too. They'll both be here and providing really great content. Uh, If you want to have a listen to that show, it's on the show page. It's also on uh, the Voice America show page, sorry. And it's also on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play and Spotify. Um, I just want to share a little something <laughs> for a second. So um, this week I tried, I hadn't realized that um, I hadn't checked out the Leadership Leap on Spotify. So I had a little search of it. And it's kind of like Googling your own name, right? It's it's uh, one of those moments where you, you don't really want to share that. But here I am on the radio sharing it with you. Um, so anyway, I found my show page on uh on Spotify, so it was the Leadership Leap, and I felt very famous. Uh, it was awesome. It was just one of those moments. But um, probably even more important than that, I showed it to my son, who's 13, and he was impressed. So for anyone who has a teenager, you know that you've reached the pinnacle of success when they say, ooh, that's cool, right? <laughs> so just wanted to share that. But anyway, take us with you, whether you're doing your workout, whether you're, you know, some people knit while they want, while they listen to the show, while you're cooking, we'll go with you wherever you want to go. So check us out on your favorite podcast provider. So today, we have an amazing show for you today as well. I'll be uh, talking with Marianne Kerr from the Medalist Group, and we're going to be talking about designing a happy, healthy culture. And um, and I'm going to save that for a moment because she's going to be first, and Marianne uh, has a, some really great thoughts about how you can kind of cook up a great culture and and uh, be very intentional about it. We also have Heather Nelson, who will be here with Money Talk. It's her regular segment here uh, for the next few months. And she's going to help us get comfortable with asking for money. So whether you're wanting to ask for a raise or you're a fundraiser for a nonprofit, or maybe you're an entrepreneur wanting to make sales, this will be super interesting for you. So, um, and before we get started, I also want to remind you that you could be receiving more leadership inspiration from me on a weekly basis uh, that comes straight into your inbox. So join the Leadership Leap community and have your coffee or tea with me every Sunday morning at theleadershipleap.net. Okay, on to the show. So both of my guests today are rock stars in the nonprofit sector, or as Marianne calls it, the social profit sector, and they are deeply passionate about helping nonprofit organizations become healthier, both culturally and financially. 
And while we might be talking about the nonprofit sector today, the ideas are for everyone and are actually crucial for any successful organization, especially today, because we, we're actually we're experiencing a bit of a fusion. So a lot of organizations, we, we've historically had for-profit organizations, nonprofit organizations, public sector, and now a lot of talk about impact resides in all of those. And so, and people are much more socially conscious. So, um, you know, they're not as far away as they used to be, and they are all working towards creating a better world. So just to say that, um, you know, some of the ideas here, like I say, you're going to be able to take them away, whatever sector you're working in. So let me introduce you to Marianne Kerr. Marianne is Chief Happiness Officer, CEO, and Principal Consultant with the Medalist Group. Marianne has worked in the social profit sector for more than 30 years, and she's helped raise over $110 million. Uh, Marianne knows that successful organizations create and nurture a climate where everyone understands their role, politics are minimal, just imagine that. Uh, engagement is high and turnover low. Environments where employees co-create the roadmap to mission delivery and compassion, kindness, and commit, commitment to the profession and deep respect for the professional fundraiser at the core of the work. And her firm, The Medalist Group, was founded in 2006. Marianne, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Leanne. I'm excited to be here. So excited to have you. So um, first off, tell us, what is a Chief Happiness Officer? Well, you know, uh, when you work for yourself, as you well know, you get to choose your title. And uh, I looked back over my career and said, uh, you know, what were the moments uh, when I was really felt at my happy, happiest? And they were moments when I was working in, in culture and team building and organizational health. So rather than calling myself CEO, I decided I'd be chief happiness officer. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. And, you know, and I've seen it in a couple of places, too. And I think it's, there's a bit of a trend now, like the word happiness. It's it's not, um, it's a deliberate choice, right? Oh, it is. And the other one I see a lot now is uh, chief heart officer. So it's oh. about, you know, it, 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 rather than talking about who, uh, what you know, what the role is, it's about who we are in a role, right? It's yeah. about uh, being more focused on mission and purpose. Absolutely. So my, my purpose is, yeah, my purpose is related to creating happy workplaces. Nice. I was going to say, I mean, in a way, the outcome, like that's the nice part. You've got your outcome in your name. This is how you're going to make a difference. Exactly. Yeah, nice, nice. So in terms of um, the work that you do, so you've been obviously in the sector for a very long time. And you've learned a lot of stuff and you've been doing organizational development stuff for a while. So what do you, what does a healthy culture look like? If you were to design a healthy culture from scratch, what ingredients would you put into it? What would be the recipe? Mm -hmm. I I love that. I love the idea of thinking about it uh, as a recipe uh, uh, for kind of happiness in an organization. And honestly, I, when I think about it, I, I think before I even get to the recipe, I have to think what what the kitchen looks like. And to me, that kitchen involves, you know, leadership training. So in the context of the kind of work that you deliver, you know, I've always said that what I love about your program, um, and I know it's not about that today, but it it really is the context for the work I do, is leaders who are looking at self-leadership. They're looking at how they lead themselves, how they lead others, and how they lead organizations. So that's kind of the kitchen I'm in. 
Um, <laughs> and, and then I have um, I have a favorite cookbook. There's tons of cookbooks on organizational health, but the one that most resonates with me is by Patrick Lencioni, and it's called The Advantage, Why Organizational Health Trumps Everything Else in Business. And he talks about five ingredients, which you alluded to earlier. Um, you know, the first one being there are no politics or there's minimal politics, right? Mm-hmm. You don't see lots of cliques. There's not an inner circle. Uh, it's not highly politicized. And this only really happens if you have strong relationships with people, Right. Right. So you, and so let, yeah. can I ask you about that? Because um, I, I, it's such a crucial one. And um, I hear a lot of people and it's funny because um, we seem to have developed an apathy around the politics because I hear people mm. say stuff like, well, you know, it's work. It's people. What can you do? There's always politics. And I'm sometimes a little bit surprised by that because I think, mm, no, there's not always politics. <laughs> there, yeah. there may no, be I- some sometimes, but, um, you know, I think people are kind of stuck in this idea that it's a normal part of organizations. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I heard that uh, I did some research on culture, specifically in the social profit sector last year or earlier this year, which, uh, you know, I shared with, with folks in, in both the corporate sector and not-for-profit sector, and they agree that it's applicable everywhere. And when they talk about organizations that are, you know, have minimal politics, it's the kind of place where, you know, you, you have listened and, and uh, heard the folks you work with, not just around things that relate to the content of the work, Mm-hmm. But you listen to their hopes and their dreams and their aspirations for their own lives, but also for the work that they're doing. So it, it's it's all of, it all comes down to relationships in the end, right? We have to yes. nurture them. We have to care about the people that we spend an inordinate amount of time with from week to week, right? Absolutely. And sometimes yeah. that means, and this might be one of the, I'm, I don't want to kind of blow the recipe in advance, but um, for me, part of that is often about communication. And where the politics often come from is people not communicating effectively. And either sometimes that can be because the organization is very authoritarian, it doesn't foster great communication, or it can be down to individuals not saying what they need to say in order to work through stuff and having hard conversations to get to the other side. Yeah, I, I agree. So, uh, you know, I, when, I, when I say five ingredients, one is about politics, um, the other is around job clarity. So, you know, people mm. understand what their role is, they're connected right. to their colleagues, right? The, the workplace is collaborative. Um, in, in philanthropy, we see this a lot, right? We talk about a culture of philanthropy. Um, and yet, you know, you might find yourself going to someone on, let's say, the program team or the marketing team to assist with a, with a grant proposal. And those folks might say, oh, those fundraisers, right? This is their job. Why am I doing this, right? And they, they see it as kind of doing the fundraiser a favor rather than recognizing that, you know, this is, this is part of collaboration. This is part mm-hmm. of building a culture of philanthropy. So job clarity minimal politics, turnover is low, right? Like people are, you look at the organization and you see that they've worked there for five to eight years, right? Now there is a whole other conversation around working somewhere for too long as well. But yeah, I'm thinking you know, two you, to three years now <laughs> is the benchmark. It's all well, changed, it, right? <laughs> it, it is. It, two to three yeah. years, you know, the truth is as a fundraiser, you need two years just to kind of 
yeah, really get right. the ball rolling, right? Or as so a leader, I, you know, I'll I, say as leaders too, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so there's job clear, clarity, turnovers low, politics are minimal, morale is high, you know? So you actually want to spend time with your colleagues. Uh, for the most part, you look forward to going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, and again, comes a lot down to relationships. And finally, productivity is high. So yeah. one of the most apparent signs to me that an organization's culture is unhealthy is that you, you see that revolving door of people leaving, but you also see that the organization is doing okay, right? The money's coming in, the relationships are happening, events are flourishing, whatever your benchmark around productivity is, it's, it's on the uptick, but people are leaving anyway. So that, that's telling you something about the culture. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I think that, um, you know, we talk about turnover, um, you know, and I just wanted to, because it, absolutely it's an indicator. The opposite thing happens sometimes when there's no turnover and productivity goes down because mm-hmm. people, like you said, are either staying too long or they're unhappy, but they don't leave. Um, so I always think of it, you know, the you know the two sides of the coin, right? Because the, the people that don't leave are sometimes, and they're grumpy. And then, you know, everybody that comes in has to deal with the grumpy, uh, as we call it in organizational development, you know, the curmudgeon. Um, <laughs> we're not very nice about it. But it's actually, that's actually a typecast person. And often they have very legitimate reasons for being grumpy. The culture has created that, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. So, you know, I, I think there is um, a role for everyone in terms of, um, you know, ha- having a part or a piece in creating a healthy culture. But if you come in and likely if there's a curmudgeon in charge, it, it's a little toxic, right? Yes. Because yes. They're, if they're not happy and they're leading uh, the organization that's going, or, or a department in an organization, that's going, the flow down is there. It's going to just impact everything that happens. Yeah. Okay. So when we talk about that, let's talk about the leader because we talk, I, I, one thing I love about, about you is that you are very, very clear that it's about senior, that senior leaders, it's their yeah. responsibility uh, to lead culture development. So um, one thing that we often see is kind of this idea that somehow culture uh, gets built, um, you know, throw in some dance pads or, you know, hummus on Fridays and uh, there we go. We've got a great culture, but it's, it has to be more intentional than that, right? I, uh, it really does. And, and so, you know, it comes down to, I believe, after, you know, having been in the sector as long as I have, and I, I, I do a lot of reading and I, I, I work on this and I, I look at, I look at or some people will say, you know, there are different schools of thought. Some people will say, you know, you can do this if you are a director of an, a department. You can change culture, but you can only get so far if you don't have a leadership team that is fully on board. And so leadership team development is the number one uh, piece of work that needs to happen, uh, which is why, in a way, I call that the kitchen, right? It's, yeah, yeah, it's even that's more, great. Right? It's, it's more important than all the other uh, uh, ingredients because... If you have a leadership team that is talking to each other, that supports one another, that has each other's back, that has a short, sort of shared vision and goals, that can handle conflict and diversity of opinion, these, these are the kinds of teams that create great cultures. 
Right? And, right. and we see it as employees in an organization where that kind of effective leadership team exists. It, it's, it has an incredible impact on our ability to work because the leadership are talking to each other and that ripples, trickles down all the way through the organization. Yeah, so important. And I guess that's the piece around thinking about what does a happy senior leader look like? And is that the person that comes in smiling every day, um, sunshine behind their heads and kind of, you know, always just cheerful? Is that what you mean by a happy senior leader? No, no. I mean, uh, I will say that I do think there is value in leaders uh, bringing their best selves to the office, if, if that's the environment you're working in. So, I mean, I think there is value in that. But I, I think a, a happy leader is one who, for instance, knows who their go-to team is. So, if I come in on a tough day and things are not going the way I'd hope, you know, you... You asked for half a million, you got 200,000, whatever, whatever it is that's happened. Your go-to team is a, a leadership team who has your back, who's going to, to be there for you and help you work through that. So, so that, you know, because the impact of that at a fundraiser, it impacts the entire organization, right? So we all own that. We own the, the successes and we own the failures, for lack of a better word together, right? We have shared and common goals. And, and that's, that's really what a happy leader looks like. So because I know that I'm not out there on my own, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, we want to have a sense of belonging. We want people to respect us, respect what we bring to the table. And we need to be, be offering that back as well. Nice, nice. So really, it means we're feeling connected to our people and connected to the cause. So thank you. That's so cool. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a little break now. Um, But when we come back, Marianne's going to talk to us about, we've talked about senior leaders and how important that is. Uh, But you know what? We all have a role to play. So when we come back, we'll be talking about how new and aspiring leaders can actually contribute to culture building too. Back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Hi there, this is Liam Picot, the host of The Leadership Leap. Thank you for listening to the show. Before I stepped into my first leadership role, I wasn't sure about becoming a leader. I was worried I didn't have the skills or confidence to do it well. When I did move up, I always say that I attended the What Not To Do School of Leadership as I knew all the things I didn't want to do, but I was less clear about the kind of leader I wanted to be. So I had to learn that the hard way. That's why I created my online leadership program, also called The Leadership Leap. I help new and aspiring women leaders to grow your confidence and your leadership abilities so you can avoid some of the mistakes I made and make a more successful leap into leadership. Through over 20 video lessons, monthly group coaching, and homework exercises that help you put the learning into action right away, you will discover who you are as a leader and learn how to inspire others. You will also be part of a growing community of other fabulous new and aspiring leaders just like you. Find out more and sign up to learn with me at theleadershipleap.net and use coupon code RADIO for an extra $100 off just for listening. Make the leap into becoming the kind of leader you most want to be. 
Hi there, this is Liam Picot, the host of The Leadership Leap. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Before I stepped into my first leadership role, I wasn't sure about becoming a leader. I was worried I didn't have the skills or confidence to do it well. When I did move up, I always say that I attended the What Not To Do School of Leadership as I knew all the things I didn't want to do, but I was less clear about the kind of leader I wanted to be. So I had to learn the hard way. That's why I created my online leadership program, also called The Leadership Leap. I help new and aspiring women leaders to grow your confidence and your leadership abilities so you can avoid some of the mistakes I made and make a more successful leap into leadership. Through over 20 video lessons, monthly group coaching, and homework exercises that help you put the learning into action right away, you'll discover who you are as a leader and learn how to inspire others. You will also be part of a growing community of other fabulous new and aspiring leaders just like you. Find out more and sign up to learn with me at theleadershipleap.net and use coupon code radio for an extra $100 off just for listening. Make the leap into becoming the kind of leader you most want to be. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to The Leadership Leap with Leanne Pico. You can find out more about Leanne and the program at theleadershipleap.net. Don't forget that you can also send in your questions about all things leadership to Leanne at her email address, info at theleadershipleap.net, and we'll try to answer them on the show. Now, back to The Leadership Leap. Hey there, welcome back. I'm Leanne Pico, and we're having a great conversation with Marianne Kerr about culture building. And before the break, we were talking about the fact that um, culture is actually a very intentional piece that we need to build. And Marianne helpfully shared a, a cool recipe for the ingredients. And we also talked about the se- role of senior leaders um, that actually, again, senior leaders need to be very intentional. It's their job to create culture. But I wanted to talk about new and aspiring leaders because it can be frustrating as a as someone who's kind of looking around and thinking, I would like to have a better workplace. And so, Marianne, how do we, um, if we're new or we're kind of, we're moving up or we're a staff person in the organization, how do we contribute to culture building ourselves? Yeah, well, you know what, a part of it is going to seem quite simple, Leanne, and, and that is that we pay attention to it. So, you know, if you exist in a culture and, and the, the easy words to use, you know, people talk about respectful cultures, inclusive cultures, collaborative cultures, and you're working at a level, let's say um, you're involved in performance reviews. That's part of what you have to do every year. If the actual function of that role, the, the doing of the performance re- review feels to you in any way like it is not collaborative, not respectful, not inclusive, right? If the culture is not reflected in some of the things that you're doing, then that's an opportunity for you to highlight it uh, somewhere within the organization. Because, you know, when culture is functioning well, it functions deeply throughout an organization. So, so that's one way to do it. Yeah. And, you know, um, it makes me think about, 
you know, it's funny because uh, I've worked with and you've probably worked with people who kind of grumble about, you know, it's just what a terrible place this is to work and things like that. And actually, um, when we do that, we are contributing to the culture. Uh, We're just contributing negatively. So there's also (laughs) something about how we show up to to our workplace and to the work we're doing and with the people uh, that, yeah. that are sitting next to us, right? Like there's a modeling which says, I'm going to be the kind of person I want to work with here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, modeling as, you know, as a leadership tool is, is essential. Uh, and the other thing you can do as, uh, in terms of modeling is to, to always be open to learning, right? So if I, if I, first I bring my best self to work and I make a concerted effort to continue to learn how to be a great leader, how to be a good leader. Um, and so and there's lots of free resources. Of course, there is the leadership leap, but there is, there is an organization, for instance, called CERIC. If you Google it, it's C-E-R-I-C. It's a charitable organization, and, and they provide all kinds of free resources to help you advance in terms of your understanding of leadership. You can do emotional intelligence training, right? There's there's lots of things you can do that are not super expensive, and you can read, listen to podcasts, you know, watch TED Talks, develop yourself as a human being, and, and then contribute that back into your organization. Nice, nice. And ultimately, you know, the, we talked about when we build a culture that part of the challenge is turnover, um, if it's not a great culture. But, you know, one thing I always say to um, the people that I coach and, and the people that I train is you don't have to stay. So the right. other part of it, so from an individual level, um, if you're in a toxic environment that is kind of making you feel like you can't be the person who you are and you can't be, um, you know, that you're going, you, you're getting up like you talked about, you know, I always say that litmus test of a good culture, like you said earlier, is do I want to go into work? Not every day. Nobody wants to go into work every mm-hmm. day. I work I work for myself and I don't always want to go into <laughs> my office. Um, but the litmus test is do I overall enjoy being at work? And if, if, if you're finding that you're not and that's deteriorating, um, it is time to go because I, I think it's important for us to, for people who are kind of that individual contributor level to understand that um, they also have a responsibility not to contribute, right? Right. Yeah. And we, you know, we exist within a system, right? And as an individual, there is only so much that you can do as an individual to impact uh, things like culture. Culture change is a, a, a a big job and it takes everybody firing on all cylinders uh, and it and obviously leadership uh, leading the way but it's it's not simple and it takes a long time so also depending where you are in your career I had a young woman call me last week who you know is really struggling where she is and she's you know, she's maybe been out in the the fundraising field for five to seven years and she's moved around a lot and she doesn't want to keep moving but she's she's had such difficult uh, and, and maybe just bad luck in terms of the cultures she's kind of banged up against um, and so she's asking herself what do I do right what do I do and I think 
you know, you have to really stop and think to yourself, is this how I want to live every day, uh, right? And, and, and long-term, where do I want to end up? So, the, uh, so my, my advice to her was, if, if this isn't the organization that you see yourself in long-term, because she wondered how she could fix it. And given where mm-hmm. she is in the organization, uh, I think it might be just a little too big for her <laughs> to fix. Yeah. She's new. She doesn't have a ton of social capital in the organization, right? Um, so those things matter if you're trying to affect change. They really do. And so going back to, again, you know, and saying, you know, we do have um, responsibility and opportunity to contribute individually. But again, that um, intentional piece around what what kind of workplace do I want to create for the people who work here lies with senior leadership and and they really need to take it seriously. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Marianne. I mean, this is really helpful stuff and, you know, for people understanding as they move up as a leader and when we are in senior leadership, this is important stuff. And so, um, you know, if you want to know more and you want to work with Marianne, what's, how do people get in touch with you if they want to work with you, Marianne? Uh, best way to reach me is really through LinkedIn. It's Marianne Kurt, Chief Happiness Officer at the Medalist Group. Even Google me. I should come up. <laughs> and your and your website, which is the Medalist Group. Group. Ca. Ca. Okay, awesome. Yeah. And highly recommend you link in with Marianne. She shares really amazing stuff on LinkedIn. And um, she's raising some really good questions about not just about um, the workplace, but also about the nonprofit sector and how we can be doing better. Thanks, Marianne. Thanks. Thank you, Leanne. Okay, so our next guest is Heather Nelson, who will be here talking to us about getting comfortable with asking for money. I've been waiting for this since I started the show because this is something I need to learn how to do better. Um, so in this segment, which we'll be doing once a month for the next three months at least, will be uh, it's called Money Talk. So we'll be focusing in on money. Um, and as I said previously, it's uh, we will be... T- talking about the nonprofit sector and about fundraising, but this piece around asking for money is it, it kind of goes across sectors and it goes across um, business relationships. So whether we're, we have our own business or whether we're wanting to ask for a raise, things like that goes across the board. So Heather is a corporate partnership and sponsorship expert that leads her own consultancy, Bridge Raise. And Heather helps nonprofits raise more money from companies through a practical and strategic approach that fits organizations of all sizes. Heather is an experienced mentor and teacher, including teaching introduction to fundraising at Ryerson University. Props to my fellow instructor. I'm teaching there too. Um, and Heather loves cheerleading fundraisers on, cuddling her puppy, I'm with you there and dreaming about her next vacation. Yeah, we have a lot in common. (laughs) So, Heather, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm just sitting here listening to Marianne, and I had, like, the biggest flashback moment when I heard her say, you know, going to other staff members and and them thinking they're doing the fundraiser a favor. And I just was like, oh, my God, you know, like money is only the fundraiser's responsibility. And I just had such a moment there. It's true. Well, and, you you know, know, it's and it's funny because the reality is that um, all of the functions should be working together in any organization. Uh, You know, it's it's kind of it's weird how we kind of hive out 
that's the fundraiser, that's the communications person, that's the, you know, it's, and this is the front line over here doing the real work. You know, we create those kind of weird silos when in actual fact, yeah, as, as Marianne was pointing out, like that kind of collaborative piece is what will generate more money, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think, you know, it it happens as you described with all with all the areas. But I would hazard to guess it happens a little bit more to the people that are talking about money. Yes. Yes. Right? Well, and let's, let's talk about that. And I wonder why that would be. I think I think I know why. Um and it's kind of the subject of our program which is about being uncomfortable with money, yes. right? It's kind of like, oh, that's you know, that's, that's that stuff over there. We're doing stuff that matters or we're doing stuff that is more, you know, aligned to the mission. When in fact, any organization, especially nonprofit, like money is, it makes the world go round, right? Well, absolutely. And I, I mean, I, I believe that fundraisers need to feel deeply aligned with the mission in order to successfully raise money for it. So, you know, there's no there's nobody who's more aligned um, really than the people who have to go out there and, and do the hard work of talking about money and the mission together. Uh, so, yeah. Okay, so tell me. So I'm going to share that I was an executive director for 15 years and I raised millions of dollars. However, I tended to work in organizations um, and and uh, look for money from government contracts or from I, – I did fundraising of a different kind, which wasn't kind of directly asking for money. So it wasn't something that I had the opportunity to get all that comfortable with. So tell me about how and, – and one of the things when, when uh, Heather and I were kind of getting ready – to do this work together, um, I said something about women are uncomfortable asking for money. So I made a very generalized statement and Heather said, I'm not. And I was like, yeah, I have to work with you because you have to tell me. So tell us, like, how did you get so comfortable with it? You know, it, it's funny to think back because I I don't think it was always true. I'm going to say, I, I'm not going to uh, own that I was born this way. Right. I don't, you know, I didn't. I didn't think that. Uh, and I, I think, uh, and I do remember a time when I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about money like that. That wasn't, it's not like historically, I always thought about money. Right. But I did come to a point uh, in my career when I went back to school and I went back to business school. And I was surrounded by people who were c- very comfortable talking about money and in so many different contexts, right? So it was could be about the amount they wanted to make. It could be, you know, how they were going to spend their time working with it, all kinds of different things. And it was just, it, you know, it was almost like, you know, trial by fire. Or, you know, it was, it was just a sort of situation where I was just listening to it all the time and, and engaging with with all sorts of different people. And I became more and more comfortable with it. And then when I re-entered the charitable sector, and at that point, you know, had sort of owned the the title of fundraiser and, you know, became a person who, who called themselves a fundraiser at that point, uh, I realized even amongst the fundraising world that I felt perhaps more comfortable than than some talking about money and, and negotiating um, around money for myself or for the organization. Uh, so I do think it was, it was a, a bit of something that happened over time. And now, um, yeah, I think I, I own it as a source of pride now, I, I would say, because it has served me well to 
to feel comfortable talking about money. Yeah, well, and that's the thing, because we can, we focus a lot, um, and again, whether it's fundraising or asking for a raise or whatever it is, we focus a lot on tactics and skills around doing that. But in actual fact, and that's what we're kind of focusing on today, is kind of looking at that mindset around money that kind of creates that. So your mindset you, you had a shift in your mindset, which is it's okay to ask for money. It's good to ask for money. So how can we, um, like as a, say, a, a young woman coming up in terms of, you know, wanting to be a fundraiser or wanting to be an executive director or wanting to be, you know, to move up in, in her for-profit organization or running a business, like how do we develop that comfort, do you think? Because you talked a little bit about, um, t- you know, is spending time with people who actually are good with money too. What other tactics do you want to share? Like what else could we do? Yeah. Well, I think first uh, let's start with the fact that I think, you know, accepting that it, that it is unavoidable and that it does matter is, is an important first step. Like I think this idea that we might be able to avoid it by, you know, perhaps doing the good work instead <laughs> or, or guilty. Yeah. I did there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Only picking uh, situations where it doesn't come up. I mean, it, I think that that just really leads you um, astray. It really limits limits a, a, a woman. It, it limits anybody, but certainly in the context of what we're talking about, it it limits you. So, uh, like, I think the first step is really like in recognizing the degree to which money matters. Whether you're, you know, in fundraising, where it obviously matters an enormous amount. Um, but even when you're talking about, you know, negotiating your salary, or if you're in sales, or now that I have my own business, you know, obviously, you, we think a lot about um, sales and, and how to set your pricing and all those things. So, I mean, there's a, a myriad of different places that, you know, and in your personal life, uh, I hazard to guess it, it comes up as well. So I think it is really important uh, to first acknowledge that it's, you know, it is part of, of, of you, a part of, of what you're going to be doing and that, that that's, um, and how you think about it, you know, if you think about it with dread or with fear or with, you know, trepidation or uncertainty that that may reflect in the behaviors and the choices that you make. Uh, Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things I was just thinking about where, because, and as you said, I've gotten, I've gotten better at it. I'm not, uh, I'm still, it's a journey I'm still working on. Um, But it's, it's, I think what it is sometimes is just um, that anxiety around um, worthiness or value. What's our value? And so I'm wondering if part of developing a kind of healthier mindset around money, whether we have to do it for our work or whether we in our personal life, is kind of getting comfortable with the idea that we might have value. Yeah, I mean, it's a very philosophical question. (laughs) Yes, sorry, I was just... I was just riffing there, so... Yeah, you know, and I mean, I think that does, you know, sort of delve into the you know, are you comfortable with money in, in some contexts and not in others, right? Yeah, so, yeah. you know, um, as you said, you know, I was very comfortable asking for money for my cause from the government. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and then, you know, the next sentence might be, but I'm, you know, I'm not quite as comfortable asking for money for myself as a, as a, as a consultant or as my, 
for myself as a fundraiser or, you know, from individuals versus from a company if we're a fundraiser, right? Oh, absolutely. So, well, even, you know, and for me as an executive director, I'll just share that um, the I, there is something in the sector as well. And we'll we'll talk about fundraising in just a sec. But part of the piece I guess I was trying to get to is, is in order to ask for money for others, um, sometimes it's easier to ask for money from for our cause, but we may also be still getting in our own way. And I was just thinking about like one time, like I was running an organization, I spent five years there and I built it all up and I tripled the um, budget and I asked for a raise. And I remember so clearly my board chair at the time said, um, it's not all about money, right? And I was like, oh, no, it's not, you know, and and at the same time, I felt devalued because I've built it up. And I thought, well, how like if I if I bring this organization to five, ten million dollars, am I still staying on the same salary because the job's changing? But there's a there's a piece in the nonprofit sector where we also are uncomfortable with money because that's not what we're supposed to be about. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's that is um, sort of. For, for me, that's a not a helpful uh, assumption or not a helpful mm-hmm. position that some people m- might take. I, I think, you know, it's, it, you know, does it exist? Yes. Uh, you know, right alongside a whole bunch of other um, mindsets or, you know, existing theories or philosophies around around money in the in the for-profit sector in the nonprofit sector you know is money good is money that's bad it. yeah you know, if I right have there. a lot of money am I bad or good right all kinds of judgments that are out yeah. there you know yeah. as a woman who's who admittedly is comfortable talking about money like I'm weird and so, you know unusual <laughs> or you know sometimes I think you know I hear people say oh well I would never admit to being a fundraiser or, or, you know, I would, I, I can't believe that you are comfortable asking for money and they're not saying it as a compliment. No, <laughs> it is no. not a compliment. <laughs> and I hear that and I think to myself, well, you know, that those are things that, that you, you know, you feel it doesn't necessarily project on, on how I feel, but any of these feelings are and thoughts do impact the decisions you're making yeah and therefore you need to decide you know the degree to which you want to spend some time with that uh and certainly when we're asking for a raise i mean that's a that's a very vulnerable position mm-hmm. you put yourself in you know there is a certain am- certain amount of putting oneself out there when you ask for a raise and you know, preparing oneself for the fact that somebody might say something that makes you feel devalued or not valued as much as you'd like to, you know, that's a scenario that can happen. That that doesn't mean that that's actually the case, just like them, you know, devaluing your skills or experience or any or anything else right like that's absolutely well and you know it flows down I I mean I left so (laughs) (laughs) back to our culture I left instead right like that's that's what happened so I and but the thing is is that in a way I I always kind of 
and and there were other reasons, but it, it was kind of a moment in time that I wish I'd felt more comfortable asking for money. And also even, you know, when we're talking about fundraising, because we sometimes talk about fund, we talk a lot about fundraisers as if they're this kind of group over here. But as you alluded to, everybody in the organization contributes to this piece around um and and i don't think like i i it's funny because i have this conversation all the time about in nonprofit land we talk so much about money and i i hear businesses talk about impact all the time and part of that is when you have money you're in a very nice privileged position to be able to talk about that stuff whereas in the nonprofit sector in a way we're kind of so focused on money because it's so hard to get so it's kind of that poverty mindset and so i'm wondering you know as organizations you know if we think about like how we feel about ourselves, how personally we feel about money, but then also kind of uncomfortable with money because that's not mission. And then also anxious that we don't have enough money. I mean, how does that all bundle up into kind of when we're going out asking for money? Like, how does that impact us? Do you think that kind of money is bad, but I have to go and get some uh, or people won't have their jobs? I mean, how does that impact a, a person? Right. Well, you know, that kind of pressure, um, putting that kind of pressure on yourself would be enormous. And I think uh, it's true that, you know, many fundraisers do feel, you know, such a great responsibility from the perspective of, you know, wanting to deliver impact and knowing and and also cover salaries and knowing how much uh, responsibility they have for raising the money that anou- allows an organization to have that impact and to pay those salaries. So, um, you know, I think understanding that and being aware of that is really important when we think about um, organization cultures, going back to some of the things Mary Ann was saying, like to, to leave that responsibility on any indi- one individual, you know, is, is really um, extreme for an organization. So, you know, I, I do believe that the responsibility needs to be collective. Um, however, you know, the individual who is actually responsible for this from a roles and responsibilities perspective, I think does need to uh, be comfortable um, talking about money and asking for money if that is in fact their, their role and responsibility. And um, I, you know, I would like to hope that most people who are in that responsibility um, have spent some time reflecting on what their comfort with money is, what, you know, what kinds of limitations they might put, put on themselves around money. Um, and I do think, you know, spending some time reflecting on it is very important. I was um, recently in a workshop and, and there's a corresponding podcast uh with uh, Kathy Mann and Lisa Watson called Toilet Paper Scarcity. And they talked about some of the questions you can ask yourself, you know, to try to unearth some of these, like maybe deeper seated things around your feelings about money. And um, it was really useful for me because even though I have thought about a lot, it brought up even more, you know, possible pitfalls. And, And I think fundraisers, as they become more experienced and, and get more practice at, you know, dealing with like, the complexities of money's money in their organizations, uh, there there's more opportunity to to reflect on how um, th- your own personal thinking about money might influence your actions and 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 how you handle different situations. Absolutely, and that's similar to leaders, right? Like when we think about and I, and I want to be careful because we we're saying fundraisers, but it's funny because um, in philanthropy. Um, and I'm going to say you because I didn't ever think of myself 
saddest part because I didn't think of myself as a fundraiser, even though I was doing fundraising, right? So we have language that kind of separates out the money in a way because those who are fundraisers kind of say fundraisers and, and maybe sometimes mean leaders. And so it's super interesting how in the in the sector, and we do this in business too, right? We think about like founders are people who go and get money, you know, whether it's an investment or they find the money. Like it's it's kind of interesting just how we hive it all out as if it's all separate. And like you said, it's a collective experience. But I wonder if we can kind of think about money and how it. Um, how collectively as we think about money, so let's think about as women, because um, when you were talking earlier, I was thinking, you know, some of those questions that you just brought up around the questions we need to ask ourselves, I think as a group of, as women, as a group, we need to ask ourselves, like we, there's a pay gap that we're, we still have uh, mm-hmm. in various countries. Um, the nonprofit sector is made up of women substantially. Um, you know, there, there's kind of this, this piece around um, a historical discomfort and and not just discomfort actually we didn't like for many many years we didn't work we didn't go out we didn't ask people for money because we were at home so we've only been out in the workplace about 70 years so you know in in various in in a in a mass on mass I guess or 100 years I don't know because uh, with the war but I guess what I'm saying is, is as a collective group like as women what how can we kind of you know, hold hands and go go up together um, in any sector to make sure that we're being paid properly, that we're we're generating income for our organizations. Like, what kind of mindset do you think it requires on a collective basis? Well, yes, I mean, it, it you know, it's a topic that I I'm proud to say I've seen more and more about on a on a sector by sector basis, uh, and I think that is. Um, you know, critically important. It's critically important that it's talked about. Uh, it, I, I was talking to someone the other day, again, about this idea of salaries being uh, posted in job postings. Oh, uh, yes. You know, I talk openly about how much I charge. I, you know, if, if a young entrepreneur asks, you know, these are the kind, if we're keeping all these things a secret, then we're really not empowering one another to negotiate from a position of strength, right? That's that, that sort of black hole of what are other people making? How much is this worth? What's, what are the comparables? These are pieces of information that you need in order to have, you know, backup when, somebody comes back to you and says, no, you're not worth that much or no, that work is not worth that much. Um, mm. So I think transparency is incredibly important and we get to transparency when we can't do, you know, ideally we can do it on an individual basis as well, but it, where we can't do it on an individual, individual basis for confidentiality reasons or any a number of other reasons, the collective um data and the collective information can be very helpful and we can do that through women's groups through women's sectoral groups through you know different leadership groups so i do really believe that the collective is part of the answer and having some organizations that take leadership by requiring salary um disclosure by gathering and sharing the data about salaries at different job points. I mean, these kinds of pieces of information allow a woman to go into a conversation knowing where 
she stands from a salary perspective relative to her peers of either gender, right? And so um, I really encourage people to have very open conversations. And where, um, you know, to your point about, you know, how do you, you know, do it, I think you have to practice and, and, and this is where coaches and mentors can be extremely helpful. I mean, the first time you say the number you want out loud should not be in the room, right? Like, mm. I, I used to joke, like, mm-hmm. you know, you saying, if I had a million dollars, a bare naked lady song, if that's the only yep. time you say it, it's not going to be so easy to say, excuse me, I would like a million dollars for that. Yeah. You know, so for fancy ketchup. Yeah. 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 So I think people are like, (laughs) people have these numbers in their head. They don't even say it out loud. So, you know, like driving down the street, say some numbers out loud. Just get used to talking about it, even to yourself or to a trusted colleague or a mentor or a coach. Because I do think um, just getting more comfortable with the conversation will really serve you as you have to go and be in a very uncomfortable situation talking about money. If you can't talk about it with your friends, you will not be able to talk about it with, you know, somebody oh, who you yes. don't know or like. So good. So good. So there's, some, I want to put out a few of those tips there because they are very good tips. And, and just to say like for, you know, when we're talking about, and you know, the corporate sector does it to some extent, but any sector, like when I, I worked in the UK for 15 years and honestly, salaries were out there. You just had them. And, and we had um, comparable salaries across the board for certain levels of work and things like that. It was much better defined. So uh, it is a bit of a wild west right now in terms of how people get paid and, and what they get paid. Um, but I also want to pull out those kind of the comments you just made about how important it is to practice and to get comfortable. And I think, um, like we said, it's either whether you're a fundraiser, you're asking for a raise, but also as women generally, I love that idea that as women, we could just start talking about money and not be afraid of it and 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 help each other kind of get more comfortable so that we can all go up and um, ask for that money. That, that I think that's 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 key. So um, we got just got a couple more minutes to the end of the show. If you are going to tell a new and aspiring woman leader one thing about money um, as she's developing her abilities and, and thinking about moving up, what would it be? Uh, don't be scared of it. You know, okay. it's not like it, it is nothing to be scared of. It's just a thing. You know, let's you know, move. You have to move past that. You have to move past that uh, that fear if, if that exists in in you. Don't be scared and get over it. Awesome. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. OK, Heather, how do we get in touch with you? How do people get in touch if they want to work with you? Yeah, uh, well, if you're interested in corporate fundraising, I put out regular newsletter on that. You can sign up for that at my website, bridgeraise.com. I love connecting with women and everybody at on my LinkedIn page or through Twitter, Heather Nelson12. And uh, yeah, I look forward to, to continuing the conversation. Awesome. We'll be talking more next month with Heather in Money Talk. Thanks, Heather. Thanks. So thanks so much to Marianne and Heather for an awesome show today. Uh, Next week, we will be chatting with author Kimberly Davis about her book, Brave Leadership. Buy it, read it, and send me questions for her at info at theleadershipleap.net. And Michelle Bevan, our EQ coach, will be talking with us about our emotional triggers and how they impact us in the workplace. Don't miss this one. Again, if you want to stay connected with me in the meantime, sign up for a weekly leadership inspiration at theleadershipleap.net. See you next time.
Thank you for joining us this week for The Leadership Leap. Liam Pico invites you to tune in for another engaging program next Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll help you make a successful leap into leadership.